Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Andrew McCann, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in Chicago. He's been teaching for over 10 years. He works a lot with musicians, but he also works with non-musicians in his, t his teaching practice. Uh, he also is a professional violinist and has played at venues all around the U.S. And we're going to talk today about his learning experiences in the Alexander Technique, how he, perhaps how he came to it, and what his experiences were in, uh, in, in taking lessons in the Alexander Technique. And I, I imagine the focus, focus will be a bit on how that work has affected his musical playing. Um, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to talk to you. And uh, could we begin uh, with you giving our listeners just a very short description or definition of the Alexander Technique? Sure. Uh, this is actually one that I've stolen from someone, and, and because I've stolen it, I can't remember the proper attribution, so... Maybe someone out there will, will know who I've stolen this from, but um, it goes something like the Alexander Technique is an educational method with possible health and performance benefits for those ready to learn. Right. And I, like, I like that last little The little learn part, right? Twist, and, and, little yeah. twist of the knife at the end there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. And, and it does emphasize that this work is, is an educational process, yes. not, not a therapy, although it can have therapeutic spin-offs for sure. sure and um it works best with someone who's actually interested in learning definitely not, not yeah. just not having just been sent to a teacher because someone told them they they would benefit from it so in your your experience uh, how did you how did it first happen that you started taking alexander lessons well, this was about uh, 15, almost 16 years ago, and I had just graduated from college. Um, I did my undergrad at Oberlin, uh, which has a conservatory of music. And when I was at Oberlin, I became somewhat obsessed around my last two years of school with avoiding the pain problems that I saw many of my friends and peers uh, in the conservatory uh, succumbing to Mm -hmm. And um, I never had a diagnosable pain problem. I never got to the point where I had tendonitis or carpal tunnel or repetitive strain in injury or tennis elbow or any of the other uh, sort of diagnoses that musicians sometimes get when they have uh, pain problems. Um, but I definitely think that I had a problem with pain is, is how I put it. Because I, if I hurt while I was practicing or if I was in rehearsal, um, I didn't know what to do about it. And uh, I don't know if this is because of my personality or, or, or what, but if I hurt, my only strategy was to stop practicing and put the violin away for the day. And it meant that on the one hand, I wasn't getting injured, uh, but on the other hand, uh, I wasn't getting enough practicing done. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and you weren't solving the fundamental problem. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I yeah. didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah. And, you know, my violin teacher was amazing at teaching me how to produce a sound on my violin and how to play Brahms. But 
Uh, I mean, and it's funny because I remember uh, when I was at Oberlin saying to my violin professor, um, you know, what do I do when I hurt? And he said, figure out what's causing the pain and stop doing it, which is actually, I mean, it's good advice, you know, um, I mean, it's true, yes, uh, yeah. but there was, there was no, there was no, you know, technique, um, you know, there were techniques for, for playing in tune and there were techniques for playing with a good sound, but there weren't techniques for not playing in pain or figuring out why, why you hurt. So, so we uh, had the basic Alexander idea, but w with no way to implement it. Yeah. And it turns out, I mean, I, you know, when I saw him at my 10 year reunion and, and we caught up, you know, he had studied Alexander a little bit when he was at Juilliard. So it was in the mix, you know, it was in the background, uh, but it was not something that he could, he could show me. Um, and, uh, so that was that was the that was the big question mark in in the back of my head when I when I graduated and I was pretty fortunate um, after school I decided to take a couple years off from school uh, which was actually one of the reasons why I could study Alexander so intensively when when I did um, but I moved to Minneapolis um, to study with a really wonderful violinist named Georgia Flizanis. Um she's now actually faculty at Indiana University but at the time. She was um, the concertmaster at the Minnesota Orchestra. And um, when I got to Minneapolis, it was the first time that I spent a lot of time around a professional orchestra. Um, so Georgia had, there were a few of us who were in her studio, and she would give us free tickets to all the concerts, and she would let us come and sit out in the auditorium uh, in the hall during rehearsals. So for the first time in my, in my life as a sort of aspiring violinist, I was watching a professional orchestra play once or twice a week. If I went to a rehearsal, I would see them twice a week. Um, and I couldn't believe the amount of music that they had to learn in an incredible short amount of time. Um, and I now know, you know, in retrospect, that a lot of that music was deeply familiar to them, that they'd been playing in that orchestra for years. And so they, they knew how, you know, this Brahms symphony goes. Uh, but it was still so much more music uh, that they had to go through in a, in, in a month than I had in, you know, a year at Oberlin that I was trying to figure out why they weren't all, you know, keeling over from injuries all the time. Um, and there was this one night that Georgia took a bunch of us out to dinner after a concert. And I sort of tried to pin her down and say, you know, why aren't you in pain? Why, you know, why aren't you injured? You're playing so much music. You're doing four concerts a week, four or five rehearsals a week. Why, you know, what do you, what do you do? What's the secret yoga stretching? What do you do? Um, and she said, uh, I studied the Alexander technique for six years. Uh, and she hadn't told you about that before. Well, this was probably like a month in. So uh -huh. you know, I hadn't been working with her that long. Before yeah. Yeah. It came out. Um, and that was the first time that I really, you know, asked her about, about, uh, avoiding pain. Um, and she had lived in San Francisco. She played with the San Francisco symphony before coming to Minnesota. And it was when she was in San Francisco that she, that she, uh, studied the Alexander technique. And I, you know, I've actually thought in retrospect, I mean, there, there's sort of two things that I took away from that experience, uh, in terms of, uh, of, um, my experience now as a teacher of the Alexander technique. One is that I really trusted her as a teacher. You know, I admired her playing. I trusted her as a person. So when she said, you know, I studied the Alexander technique, I was like, well, I'm going to check that out. You know, there was no, there was no doubt. 
mm-hmm. that it was worthwhile. Um, and then the fact that she said that she'd studied it for six years immediately established my expectations going in. And it's something that I actually find in general when I'm working with musicians, they know coming into their Alexander lessons that this is probably going to be a study of some length. You know, they may not have the money <laughs> right. for, you know, uh, 30 lessons, but the idea of a set of lessons to learn something subtle and having to do with their co- coordination is something that's familiar to them. Sometimes it's harder to convince people who don't have a background in performing arts that this would be something that would take a series of lessons. Um, and, and so I've thought about that, how that was never in doubt because when I started studying Alexander um, and it was uh, maybe a month and a half later that I actually, you know, I got back into town after the Christmas break and, and uh, called around all the teachers in town and started taking lessons with Carol McCullough, who was a teacher in, in Minneapolis at the time. And, um, I immediately started going twice a week and, you know, I don't think I ever asked, uh, the sort of dread question, which is, you know, how long is this going to take, you know, which is pretty much unanswerable, you know, because it so depends on, on the student's interest and their conditions and, right, right. you know, et cetera. Well, uh, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, most students that I run into these days have an expectation that it, it could be just a few lessons and they'll get it. Yeah. And, and of course that happens sometimes. It's not that it can't happen, but the idea that you would actually devote a, a reasonable amount of time and and money in learning how to improve your own functioning is not kind of out there in general, although except, as you say, in the world of performing artists, it, it is much more so. I, I, yeah, and I, and I would say... Um... You know, you see, you see that, you know, if if I'm working with a high school student, you know, at their school, if they're on the soccer team, they're expected to go to soccer practice every day. If they're on the football team, they're expected to go to football practice every day. Um, And that notion of like movement learning as being a daily thing is, is somehow understood in athletics and certainly practicing every day is understood in in teaching an instrument. Um, and you know, we're, we're right in there, you know, as an education and movement. So, uh, so I think that, um, partly it's just getting better known, you know, knowing that this is, this is a thing, because I think when, you know, if if people haven't even heard of the Alexander technique, then it's, it's a harder, harder thing to realize that this is going to be a, an investment in themselves and in time, you know, and that time is. The essence right. of contract, I think, is the phrase. So. Right, right. So when you started taking lessons, did you start noticing effects on your playing and in other areas of your life fairly quickly, or did it take a while? Well, I, it's it's funny because I, I jumped right in and was doing two lessons a week with Carol, uh, but I did not have a big aha in my first lesson. I mean, I, I, I took some notes afterwards and I've looked at the notes since and I definitely picked up on some things, you know, um, but it was not the sort of the aha moments came as we worked together. Um, and, uh, Carol, it was interesting cause I called around all the teachers in town and mostly talked to answering machines, but Carol actually picked up the phone and she was, she was very decisive. You know, she was a very mild mannered person, but she was very, 
very uh, assertive in a quiet way. So when I said to her, you know, I'm a violinist and I'm interested in the Alexander technique, especially to help my violin playing, you know, she said, well, I'm a violist and I've thought a lot about string playing and the Alexander technique. And so you should come study with me. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, then, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, right. you know, and so what's interesting to me about that is that even though she knew as a, I was a violinist and even though she had specialized in applying Alexander to the, to the, to string playing, uh, she stuck to pretty classic Alexander work for the first couple of months. Um, I mean, I think we might, I might have brought my violin once or twice in the beginning just to get a, a lay of the land, but I don't, I don't remember that very, very clearly. I remember sort of a moment a couple months in, you know, probably after, after, uh, eight to 12 lessons and things like that when she said, okay, you know, come, come on in, bring your, bring your, bring your violin, um, and I think, you know, in, in, in thinking back on it, one of the reasons I think I was relatively patient with that aspect of the process is that coming into my Alexander lessons, I didn't have a lot of illusions about my self-knowledge when it came to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've definitely found with, with my students that there are a real, real mix. There's a lot of variety in terms of how how much people think they know about themselves as movers. You know, if, if they were dancers or if they... Even um, if they were like successful physically as, as actors, um, or if they have any background in athletics, usually there's a certain amount of um, self-concept that's wrapped up in the notion that they know what they're doing. I was a violinist. I was very academically oriented in college. I spent a lot of time in front of the computer, and I had a couple experiences in college. Um, one in particular was a, uh, I took one yoga class and like couldn't figure out where my hips were the entire class, and you know, yeah. left sort of humiliated and, and embarrassed right, <laughs> after right. sort of lurking in the back of the class. So you know, I went into my Alexander lessons basically feeling like I didn't know you know my elbow from my from my knees, and so. So I think that I was actually really patient in, in the early early lessons. You know, I mean, I, I felt like it was laying down a foundation, um, and the guided movement was really intriguing. Uh, I remember every once in a while thinking that you know Carol was sort of you know my Yoda, you know, because there would be these sort of strange moments where a movement would suddenly take care of itself, you know, and I didn't even feel like I'd done anything and. And yet there it had happened, you know. So I think there was a certain amount of that, you know, where it was sort of like, this is a little bit, you know, mysterious. Um, Could you you maybe say a little bit, when you earlier said she worked in kind of a classical way. Sure. Um, just for our listeners who who don't wouldn't understand what that means, it, yeah, it it certainly meant that she she did little or no work with you specifically playing the violin. Really, she yeah, presumably that's right. did yeah. things like getting out of a chair or sitting down or table work or that sort of thing, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that what I took away from those first first uh, couple of months of lessons was that the chair work was about understanding my back. Mm-hmm about understanding my leverage, um, understanding where uh, movement happened from, what were my major joints, you know, just sort of a, a, a fundamental understanding of myself as a mover. So it had, I don't think I ever had the, the, the understanding that 
that sometimes comes up, which was like, this is about sitting correctly. Like there wasn't, right, right. there wasn't anything in the chair work that seemed particularly about sitting or standing. It was more like this was the activity that we're doing in order to, for you to attend to your head balance and for you to attend to your breath and for you to right. learn what we mean by lengthening and widening. You know? So, so that classical approach would take one or two or three specific activities often chair work would be one of them and using them as frameworks within which to learn about how you organize your body for movement yes exactly and but but and what makes it sort of classical in the way you're talking about is you might think well a violinist comes in a teacher would work with the violinist right away and the classical approach would be to say no we're going to do more basic stuff first that's right. Yeah. But I, I guess it would be yeah. good for our listeners to know also that there are teachers who would be totally happy with working with you playing the violin almost right away. That's like, right. It's another approach to teaching. Yeah. And, and, you know, since I've become a teacher, I have found that there's a real, again, there's a variety in students in terms of what's their patience mm-hmm. for, for the, for chair and table work. Mm-hmm. Well, almost everybody enjoys the table work. So right. they almost, they all request it, you know, right, right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think that, um, I am now more likely to bring, have them bring their instrument in earlier than Carol had with me. Um, but I try to set up a dialogue, the same kind of dialogue that she ended up setting up between the chair procedures, these sort of classic procedures, some of which are literally, you know, a hundred years old. I think, you know, some of the hands on back of chair and sitting and standing go back to what, like, 1908 or something like that. Um, and uh, so these very traditional procedures that go back to Alexander himself mm-hmm. um, and then connecting them up to a specific uh, aspect of, of playing the violin. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so, you know, in my own teaching, I, I do find that there are some students who, you know, I have to make those connections clearer in the beginning for them to see the relevance of the chair work because it can seem... It can seem a little bit abstract, right? Um, and it can, uh, you know, I mean, I sometimes joke with students that you know nobody comes to their Alexander lessons saying, "I've forgotten how to sit down. I keep on missing the chair." You know, right, they, right. You know, right. it's it's not something that's not that's not why they're there. They're there either because they're uncomfortable or there's some right. sort of performance so, issue. Yeah. So without going into all the details of yeah. what, of what happened, I assume that at some point you noticed some effects on your playing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the the first effects from from just lessons in general was that I was getting a much better sense of where my and it's funny because I don't think Alexander teachers talk about you know strength or power very much, but I think the fact that I was learning about the leverage of my back was immediately making me sort of feel much more like I understood where leverage and where power came from if I needed to lift something or if I needed to 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 do something physical and that was something that I felt I'd really lost kind of over puberty you know right right <laughs> it kind of gone away because I was 23 at the time so this was all kind of like what does my adult body look like right kind of, kind yeah. of work um and then you know I think that that you know when I when I after about two months and when I brought the violin in I think what the violin showed me more than the chair work showed me was the power of my habits um, you know, up to that point, we talked a lot about the importance of awareness and the importance of, um, 
you know, in, in a, there's a basic idea in Alexander work that what we're practicing is non-doing and that our habits, they do themselves and they just um, are triggered by some sort of contextual cue, whatever that is. In my case, it was the violin. Um, and then they just, they run their course. Um, and so your control when you're trying to unlearn a habit is before you've done your old habit. Otherwise, you just end up layering Mm -hmm. uh, something new on top of the old habit. And that all made sense to me intellectually in the classic procedures and the chair, chair work. Um, but it was when I brought the violin in that I really recognized, I was like, Oh, I have no control over this pattern at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's one story I think is sort of worth telling because it was so, it, it was such an example of, of realizing that you've kind of conditioned yourself in this like incredibly specific way. So if I can set the scene a little bit, it was at the end of a lesson. So we, we'd had some chair work, we'd had some table work. And after you've done those traditional Alexander procedures, there's a, a kind of heightened sensitivity to how you're sitting, to how you're moving, much more so than, you know, when I arrived that day. Um, and because Carol was a violist, she went over to my case and took out my instrument for me and she brought it over to me. This is probably the first time that I brought my violin in after, you know, a couple months of lessons. And she handed the instrument to me, uh, to my left hand, but didn't want me to hold it yet. She just wanted me to hold it in my lap before raising it up to my left shoulder. And when she handed it to my left hand, my back jerked back very subtly. Mm. It was this sort of pushback from the hips. And we both noticed it. And I don't think I would have, I, I don't think I would have noticed it if we hadn't been at the end of the lesson. In other words, it was very subtle and it, it, it it was clearly not something that you would want. I mean, it had this quality of like anticipation and tension in it. Right. Um, and so we did that over and over again. I think she must have like, she took the violin away, she handed it back and I couldn't, I jerked back again. She took the violin away, she handed it to me again, my back jerked back. And then eventually she said, okay, well, wait just a sec. I'm going to hand it to your right hand, which is not the hand that holds the violin. It's held on the left. Mm -hmm. And when she handed it to my right hand, there was no jerk back in my body. Right. Um, and that was the first time that I was like, wait a second, you know, this is like, I have this conditioned response in my body from, from playing the violin for so many years. Um, and as we worked together, I started to get to know what that, and it was sort of a whole body sort of combination of tensing and collapsing in different places in order to hold the violin, but it would happen very, very quickly. Um, and so a big part of my practice became, you know, standing in front of a mirror, doing nothing, leaving myself alone, bringing up the instrument and trying not to go into this kind of whole body sort of twist. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think what you're describing is, is very common among musicians, especially professional musicians or, or musicians who play a lot that 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 habit kicks in so quickly with the stimulus of the instrument that there's really almost no way to sense it unless someone helps you as your teacher did get more ease in yourself and more awareness to start with so you had something to to compare it with that's right and, and i you, think you can't actually notice it yourself because it's become so ingrained yeah, and I, and I think that, like, I mean, it, it's this very frustrating thing because for the student, they're very earnest, they're serious, they want to work on their habits, they know they've got this thing that they want to work on, and so they come in and they're like, let's work on this, and by the time they've said, let's work on it, they've already gone into it, you know? Exactly, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's very, it's very, very challenging, and I think that was, you know, 
Alexander has been in the performing arts world for a very long time, you know, since before I was born, you know, and so almost all of the teachers that I've worked with have had some kind of relationship to the Alexander technique. Either they studied it for a couple of lessons or for many years, if they were like my teacher, Georgia. Um, but I think the thing that was new to me in my Alexander lessons that no violin teacher had ever told me was that the first step is to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what was so powerful because otherwise you're kind of chasing your tail a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there's a, I mean, musicians and, and music teachers talk about the importance of habit all the time, but that was the first time that I realized that the process was much simpler than I was making it, that I didn't have to worry about the right thing. You know, if I didn't twist myself up into knots playing, you know, putting up the violin, then I was already in a better place. You know? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's actually very hard to communicate that idea until people have had the experience of a habit just kicking in and taking over. Um, and then they're like, oh, I understand the problem now. Um, right. But, so uh, we're, we're probably getting kind of close to the end. And sure. I want to, I'd like to kind of close with you perhaps addressing musicians who are listening and perform performers in general, uh, just to say a word or two, maybe on the theme, why you might want to consider at least exploring the Alexander technique. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the classic answer, and, it's, and I think it's a good one, is, is the idea that, that your primary instrument is, is yourself, is, yes. your, is your whole body. And, and that... Um, you know, the first the first person to mention the Alexander te technique to me very much in passing was my violin teacher when I was 13, you know, and he could see that I was going to need help someday and how I was holding the violin. And it was only when I found an Alexander teacher some 10 years later that I started addressing addressing those habits. So I think that, you know, when music teachers and Alexander teachers team up to work with music students, it's a very powerful combination because when you have your whole body working for you instead of against you, it makes the specific technique of playing an instrument or of singing or of, of uh, you know, whatever that musician does, um, it just makes that specific technique so much easier. Um, it's, it's, it's creating a fluid context for that specific art. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's the, that's the reason to do it. And if I can add one other thing, sure. I think that this is something that kind of comes up, you know, because I jumped into Alexander, uh, lessons so enthusiastically, you know, I was just like twice a week, gotta go for it, you know, um, and then trained as a teacher right after studying with Carol for about a year and a half. Um, it can seem a little overwhelming if you just want to like get your toes wet. Um, and I think that the idea is that, you know, uh, if, if, it's always worth just checking out, you know, you don't have to pre-commit to, you know, 50 lessons, you know, mm -hmm. um, that there is value in coming into an Alexander teacher and seeing what it can offer you as a musician. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a dance uh, professor at University of uh, Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, who's also an Alexander teacher, Luke Vanier, you know, mm, who's sure. said, uh -huh. who, who said to me once, you know, Life takes the same amount of time, you know, it, it, you know, if you know about freeing your neck or you don't know about freeing your neck, you know, you're still practicing your dance the same amount of hours. You're still practicing the violin the same amount of hours. This is all plus, you know, this is all 
to facilitate those hours. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not like, um, it's this burden, you know, it can sound like, you know, when I talk about confronting the, the power of, of my habits of the violin, it can sound like this, this big thing, but you know, it was about three weeks of irritation in May of 1999, <laughs> right. you know, and then I kind of unlearned that habit enough to, you know, gain some fluency without, without going into that, that sort of twist. Um, and then, you know, I've benefited from that ever since then. Now it does take maintenance, you know, it's not, it's not magic, but, but it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's not this, uh, sort of unscalable mountain. Right. Well, Hey, this might be a good place to bring our conversation to a close. Right. Um, my, uh, my guest today has been Andrew McCann, an Alexander Technique teacher and musician, violinist, uh, in Chicago area. If anything that we've talked about intrigues you and you live in the Chicago area, I'll put a link to a- Andrew's website by the interview. And I'll also put a link to a website where you can learn more about the Alexander Technique. That site has a page on it, or a section really, devoted to the technique and musicians and has a lot of information about that connection. Um, so, uh, Andrew, welcome. So, Thank you, sorry. Thank <laughs> you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Robert. <laughs>